bringing you the truth behind the news. Welcome to The New American. Well, hello, everyone. It's December 1st. I'm Steve Bonta, filling in for Paul Dragu, and we have a very, very important special show for you today. The day before yesterday, we lost Henry Kissinger, who uh, my esteemed colleague, uh, Bill Jasper, once referred to as the eminence grise of the globalist establishment, or words to that effect. Henry Kissinger has been a fixture on the globalist circuit for literally decades, and it's probably no exaggeration to say that we are largely living in a time, in a world political climate that is a product of Kissinger's energy and his particular set of ideals, which we're going to talk about. So without further ado, I'm going to welcome Bill Jasper to the show. And uh, Bill, who is something of an eminence grise himself, has been following assiduously the career of Kissinger over the decades and has forgotten far more about the man than I will ever know. So Bill Jasper, welcome to our show today. Well, thank you, Steve. Pleasure being back. All right. Henry Kissinger. What did well, you what tell us about the man? A lot of our younger listeners and and uh, and audience viewers may not know clearly who he is and why there's such a hullabaloo surrounding his his death. But uh, but you know, don't you? Well, yes. Yeah, so I have been following him for going on to now five decades, and uh, since uh, back in the Nixon administration, the Vietnam War, and uh, he has established his uh, place, uh, first among equals, in all of the global establishment advisors. He was not the power broker, power maker, but he was the top servant to the globalist uh, elites and uh, operated in both Democratic and Republican administrations, although he's mostly known for his uh, uh very evil doings in the Republican administrations. Uh, he has, uh, he transcends uh, partisan politics. He is a globalist uh, elite and was instrumental in uh, establishing many of the structures which we now see closing in on us, uh, globalist structures through the United Nations and through organizations like the World Economic Forum uh, he was a member of, uh, for many, for, for decades, of the Bilderberg Group. He was a leader of the uh, Council on Foreign Relations, a director of it, and arguably the most influential uh, intellectual, public intellectual uh, there. Uh, so he, uh, probably more than any other individual, uh, played the key roles. Uh, his biographer, uh, Niall Ferguson, uh, stated not too long ago, this is before his death, that of all the uh, individuals uh, who had played a role in the U.S. and Western relationship with China, no one else came close to Henry Kissinger. He, he said, we see his hand in every major event from 1971, when uh, he established the first rapport with uh, communist dictator, mass murderer Mao Zedong, and then brought 
uh, his boss, uh, Henry, uh, Richard Nixon, uh, together with uh, Mao Zedong for the U.S.-China uh, engagement rapprochement, which now, uh, all these decades later, has proven uh, to be one of the most monumental uh, betrayals in all of human history, not just of the Chinese people who had the communist regime fastened even more uh, firmly upon them, but on the whole world, which we see now, communist China, the CCP, under Xi Jinping, carrying forward Mao's uh, global communist uh, world uh, uh, program. And uh, uh, Henry Kissinger, every step of the way, has facilitated that from all, all the way from Mao Zedong through Deng Xiaoping to uh, to present day with uh, Xi Jinping. And so we saw just uh, the week before last in uh, San Francisco when uh, Joe Biden went to meet with Xi Jinping. It wasn't just Biden and Xi who were meeting there. We also had all of the global elites from the uh, U.S. and International Chamber of Commerce, from the U.S.-China Business Council, from the National uh, Council on U.S.-China Relations, all of which uh, Henry Kissinger has played a key role in and at their events is always uh, uh, exalted and usually sits in the seat of the guest of honor. Uh, all of these uh, people were meeting in San Francisco too. And that was even more important than uh, Xi's meeting with the empty suit from the White House, uh, because uh, they are continuing this whole process of building communist China into the global uh, hegemon that will actually, if they are successful, replace the United States. We will merge with them uh, in this new world order in which the uh, globalist uh, business titans and, and banking uh, magnates think that they are going to be uh, ruling the world in a Chinese model uh, with Xi Jinping as their partner. Uh, it's uh, right now uh, quite fitting that a lot of attention is being uh, placed on Henry Kissinger because he has just finished uh, his life's work of attempting to create this new world order, a term that he uses to, and that he referred to China as the new uh, uh, one who would be who would be leading it. So. Uh, there's a lot that we can dive into with regard to Kissinger's whole uh, portfolio over the last uh, uh, 50, 60 years, but um, uh, we could uh, get into his Middle East role, the Vietnam War, uh, his betrayal of our POWs in Vietnam, his betrayal of the people of Vietnam, of the Republic of uh, For Vietnam. For which he was his, awarded a Nobel Prize. Nobel Peace Prize, he was awarded lest, a lest Nobel we forget. Prize. And of course, he should have, yes, uh, he should have been um, uh, tried for treason, in my in my view, for that and many other things. But, uh, you know, it. Uh, there is a, a gentleman whom I interviewed recently on video, Dr. Stephen B. Young, 
who was a deputy uh, director, uh, I forget which agency, in the State Department during the Vietnam War. He speaks uh, Vietnamese fluently. His wife is Vietnamese. Uh, he is a historian of, of Vietnam. He wrote a book recently, Kissinger's Betrayal, and uh, how we lost the war in, in Vietnam. And he goes, uh, he has brought out a number of uh, very important uh, documents, and he has the perspective and, and background to uh, to really give the the information underpinning all of these things. And so his his recent book is one uh, that I hope to interview him on recent uh, in the near future. My interview with him uh, previously was on a different topic about Vietnam. So uh, uh, now, ma many years later, decades later, uh, a lot of the truth is coming out. But there is still much more uh, that hasn't been uh, that hasn't been released or hasn't been uh, uncovered. Yeah, well, I mean, this is so f often the case. If you look, I remember once our our former colleague Will Grieg telling me he he just finished reading us a history of World War One and all the machinations that got us involved in that. And he said, you know, Steve, I wish sometimes I could just dig those people up and kill them again. <laughs> he said words to that effect. You know, it was it's so out, it, you know the outrages these people always seem to get away with it. You know, and and then the fruits of their their labors, their misdeeds only become evident decades and decades, even generations after the fact, when people finally get wise and goes, oh my goodness, if we hadn't done that or this or the other thing, if we hadn't allowed ourselves to be gulled by our leaders back then, we wouldn't have this problem now. Well, we're going to dig down a number of these issues in this next segments coming up. Freedom is the cure. You're dead on. This is the largest experiment performed on human beings in the history of the world. The more you know. What they're doing is they're forcing vaccination on people. And I believe they are killing people with this vaccination. The freer you are. It's murder. They are basically murdering people in hospitals. The all-cause mortality we know is now higher in the vaccinated group than the unvaccinated group. Stay informed on the issues that affect freedom. Get a subscription to The New American today. TheNewAmerican.com Hey folks, The New American just released our latest collector's edition bookazine. It's called Self-Reliance Foundation of Freedom. Without individual responsibility and the ability to take care of ourselves without government help, we cannot be free. This polished collector's edition includes articles on a number of topics, including the self-sufficiency of the founders, preparing for a worst-case scenario, firearm self-reliance, financial self-reliance, the importance of community, and many other things. The, experts, the authors are experts in their topics, and we encourage you to get a copy. You can order copies at thenewamerican.com slash shop or by calling our office at 800-727-8783. Well, we're back with, with, with Bill Jasper, my esteemed colleague of many years, and fr frankly, his career as a journalist reporting on the globalists and all of their, their, their doings goes decades longer than that. And uh, we're talking specifically about a major event that took place uh, the day before yesterday, which was the death 
of Henry Kissinger at the age of 100. It's amazing, Bill, isn't it, how some of these people tend to live to a really, really excessively ripe old age. I mean, David Rockefeller, who was very much a comrade at arms with Kissinger, lived to be, what, 95 or 96 or some such. So. No, he 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 hit uh, he hit a hundred also. Did he hit a hundred also? Yeah. So 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 we get two centenarians, and these are the two the two titans of globalism of the last fifty years. Now you know I, I have to say, Bill, looking at the, the press coverage of yesterday of Rock of Rockefellers of of Kissinger's death, I was surprised how many lukewarm, ambiguous, and even negative pieces of coverage were cropping up. So even in the major, you know, the mainstream news media, there were people saying, well, you know, he was a man of many contradictions. And that was pointed out that Seymour Hirsch once said that the dark side, quote, the dark side of Henry Kissinger is very dark indeed. I think that was, that might have been the Fox News article that, that recycled that quote. And CNN also had, had, had stories the effect of, well, you know, he was controversial and that sort of thing. And so, so the plaudits were not as fulsome and unanimous as one would have expected. So is it possible that his his image and his brand have become tarnished over the decades since since his heroic days back in the 1960s and 70s of appeasing the Soviets, the communist Chinese and the Viet, Viet Cong? Well, uh, in elite circles, uh, if you look at just in recent years, his appearance at the World Economic Forum, uh, at Aspen, at the uh, Council on Foreign Relations, uh, and at Bilderberg, which, you know, Bilderberg and and uh, World Economic Forum being the two big international ones, along with the Trilateral Commission, that uh, all of which uh, had a, a huge input from the Rockefeller uh, dynasty, uh, of which of which Henry Kissinger is um, a beneficiary. Uh, he was very close to the Rockefeller family, to David Rockefeller and Nelson Rockefeller. Uh, and uh, so in all those elite circles, it's hard to find anyone who is uh, who approaches him in terms of name recognition, fame. Uh, and not only that, but uh, in uh, fortune. I mean, he his Kissinger's Kissinger Associates was uh, the most prestigious of the consultancy firms, which uh, enabled him uh, to set up all kinds of deals in China and with all communist countries and other dictatorships around the world, and to charge very handsome fees for that as well. But it, it is true in uh, the, the past uh, few years, uh, his image has been somewhat tarnished. Uh, the press is not as uh, unanimously uh, adulatory uh, of him. But one of the one of the reasons why uh, we see some of this happening in the um, in the mainstream media, and especially in the left wing media, uh, is that uh, Kissinger is falsely portrayed. Uh, by many of the those on the left as being this hardcore uh, anti-communist, that his hmm. uh, anti-Soviet uh, and anti-communist impulses were responsible for our uh, intransigence, as they put it, in Vietnam, uh, that uh, he uh, supported uh, the Shah of Iran and he supported the um, uh, in uh, Chile, uh, uh, August um, 
Pinochet. Pinochet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, there are a few incidents like that that can be pointed to where it would, would seem that, hey, Kissinger seems to be helping the anti-communists. But we've written on that extensively in The New American. In almost every one of those cases where Kissinger is portrayed by the left as aiding anti-communists or right-wingers, it is because uh, he is getting them completely dependent upon the United States. He is always put forward as the front man with his reptilian unctuousness uh, with foreign leaders and whatnot to be able to get them into his his confidence to believe that the Americans are going to support them and then pull the rug out from under them when uh, the time comes, when the chess game says, okay, it's time for this piece to be taken out. So uh, that unfortunately has caused many conservatives to think, well, Kissinger must be pretty good if all these left-wingers are attacking him. Well, and he worked with Republican presidents. So, you know, that was primarily, not exclusively, but yeah. Right. And, you know, uh, it's worth keeping in mind that, uh, you know, Hubert Humphrey, left-wing Democrat uh, presidential aspirant, uh, once praised Kissinger and Nixon saying, after they closed the deal with China, uh, saying, I could have never done that. I would have been accused of, of being pro-communist right. if I had done that. But of course, uh, the faux anti-communist label helped Kissinger to um, to pull off many of these things so, so in Republic. Th- this may seem a little out of sequence. You probably should have talked about this for leading with this, but but where does the where did Kissinger come from? He's a, he was born in Germany. That that counted for his thick German accent, his trademark accent. Uh, next, probably next to Arnold Schwarzenegger. Probably at, at the time, it was the most famous German accent in the world. But how does a guy, uh, you know, a German American immigrant, in effect, rise to such heights? What what kind of trajectory did he follow? What was his background? Did he come of some sort of elite parentage? No, but he, here's the here's the thing that is. Uh, uh, especially interesting now, decades ago when we first wrote about uh, about this, about Kissinger's early uh, communist connections, uh, that was written off as, oh, that's crazy. That's uh, completely uh, bizarre conspiracy theory stuff. So let's just look uh, briefly at that. Kissinger, while he was uh, in Germany uh, during uh, World War II, was in army intelligence, our army intelligence. But according to several top defectors uh, from uh, the Soviet Union, including Michael Golanuski, uh, uh, who was one of the top uh, Soviet defectors ever to come to the United States and to expose many of the uh, uh, double agents that were, and moles that were in our government, uh, said that uh, Henry Kissinger, Uh, was actually a member of a KGB cell in Germany uh, and that he uh, went by the code name Bohr, B-O-R. And uh, uh, Frank uh, Capel wrote about that for us in uh, American Opinion magazine decades ago. And uh, other documents have come out uh, since then or, or testimony that seem to uh, to bear that out. 
He was brought into the United States and then up through the higher circles by the Rockefeller family. Hmm. David Rockefeller and Nelson were both involved in the post-war rebuilding of Europe, which was really the whole restructuring of Europe uh, to lead eventually into what it has become with the European Union, to merge all of the all of the country uh, countries together in the EU. And Henry Kissinger was uh, brought by the Rockefellers uh, into the U.S. establishment. Okay, hold that thought, Bill. We've got to take a quick break. We'll, We'll pick that up right after the break. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The Declaration of Independence proclaims God-given rights, and we intend to protect them. Working with people like you for over 50 years, preserving freedom and building a better tomorrow, safeguarding the Constitution by limiting government power. We are restoring liberties, educating voters, and leading the freedom movement. Join with us. United, we will defend our rights. We are all Americans. We are the John Birch Society. Uh, welcome back. Uh, Bill, you were saying about the communist origins or the, uh, the shady communist connections of the young Henry Kissinger. Continue. Well, and, and that's very important. It's becoming much more recognizable now because we, for, for decades, as we were uh, talking about this, it seemed bizarre. Why would uh, big uh, capitalists like uh, David Rockefeller uh, and others of his ilk, uh, why would they be helping the communists, uh, particularly to uh, merge the United States into a communist-styled uh, dictatorship. and uh, But that's not crazy anymore because we see it directly with those international globalist organizations like the World Economic Forum, where you have all of the billionaires who fly into Davos or into Beijing because they have the World Economic Forum uh, events now annually in Beijing as well, where Xi Jinping and top CCP, Chinese Communist Party officials, are welcomed as comrades at at these events. And the uh, increasingly, as we see with the World Economic Forum's uh, Great Reset Program, they want to reset the entire globe. And how do they want to reset? They want to set reset it politically, economically, socially, uh, morally, uh, spiritually, biologically, and they explicitly over and over again cite China as uh, the model that they are moving toward and they have brought many top Chinese Communist Party officials, economists, political scientists, uh, uh, medical authorities and whatnot into the World Economic Forum to help draw up their their uh, programs which they have then also uh, melded into the United Nations. The World Economic Forum has signed a strategic partnership with the uh, United Nations, and they are working together to pull all of this uh, 
economically, politically, socially, and even transhumanly uh, into a new world order based on the Chinese Communist Party system, where you have total control uh, of, of everything. And that's why you see all of these big uh, corporate CEOs uh, rushing off to China all the time because they see from their from their work with the Council on Foreign Relations, the World Economic Forum, that this is the plan and they had better get in uh, on the ground floor with it if they want to prosper and if they want to rise up the uh, the ranks here. So Henry Kissinger was, was has been critical in all of this. He is one of the people whom uh, Klaus Schwab, the founder of the World Economic Forum, cites as his... And another uh, famous German accent. Inspiration. <laughs> yes, yes. So they, they fit together uh, very well. And uh, Klaus Schwab, uh, besides Henry Kissinger, uh, he cites also, uh, on the spiritual side, a man by the name of Dom Helder Camara, Archbishop uh, of uh, Brazil. And he's he was known in Brazil as the... Uh, uh, as the Red uh, Archbishop, and because he was one of the biggest proponents of liberation theology, of mm. uh, communist uh, ideology uh, masked as uh, Catholicism. And so Henry Kissinger and uh, Klaus Schwab and uh, Dom Helder Camara uh, played a very important role in uh, helping to spread uh leftist, communist, Marxist, uh, liberation theology uh, throughout Latin America. Uh, Henry Kissinger helped to, of, of course, to push much of Asia into uh, communist uh, control. And uh, now with, through the World Economic Forum, uh, which Henry Kissinger helped uh, all along, as, as well as with through Bilderberg, he's helping to bring all of the world together under a uh, globalist control, which is increasingly more openly looking like Beijing's regime. Well, you know, we, we talked a lot about China and, and, and about Vietnam, but I want to talk for a few minutes about the, the Soviet Union as well, because back in the day, they were actually viewed as being more important. And it bears mentioning, maybe more than mentioning, the fact that Henry Kissinger is today credited as one of the chief architects of a policy known in the 1970s as detente with the Soviet Union. And this was essentially this idea that we needed to learn to coexist with them and, 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 and sort of thaw out the Cold War deep freeze that had prevailed in the 1950s and 1960s. Now, people uh, like us who studied at length the machinations of the globalists would say, well, that sounds an awful lot like the old program of a merger between the Soviet Union and, and the United States, which was talked about as openly as early as the 1950s. So Kissinger seems to have had a hand in that as well. And one assumes that his objectives were in that connection were less about peace with the Soviet Union and more about promoting the so-called global merger between these two allegedly polar opposite regimes. What, what say you to that? Well, yeah, so very, he played an extremely important role uh, during the uh, 1960s and 70s uh, in pushing the whole idea that um, we needed to uh, 
have detente, to, to have peaceful relations with the Soviet Union. But he, uh, one of the most important uh, roles that he played in this was during the Vietnam War, uh, he uh, was a national security advisor. He was the top uh, guy in the Nixon administration. Nixon never did anything without uh, without his approval. Uh, he he pushed for and uh, made possible the continuation of the the suicidal policy that Professor Anthony Sutton uh, from Stanford University's Hoover Institution uh, had <clears throat> tried valiantly to expose uh, for many years. Professor Sutton wrote a book in 1973 called National Suicide, Military Aid to the Soviet Union. And he pointed out in there, now this is uh, in 1973, we're still in Vietnam, men are dying, uh, American soldiers are dying, uh, South Vietnamese are dying, uh, a massive war is ongoing. He points out that all of the North Vietnamese communist forces uh, were being supplied by China and principally by Russia at that time. And that all of these supplies were being aided, uh, were being given to North Vietnam, to Ho Chi Minh and the communists, uh, as a result of technology that was being transferred to the Soviet Union. And that all of this uh, Soviet technology, which they had which it was American subsidized, American uh, produced, was then going directly to uh, to Vietnam, and that China at the same time was sending troops and advisors and uh, aircraft, uh, anti-aircraft medicines, food, uh, all of those things to uh, uh, communist North Vietnam, and Henry Kissinger. So, so are you saying that the so-called Sino-Soviet split was a was a charade? It sounds like they were acting together. They were. And uh, this is where um, uh, an there's another Soviet defector, Anatoly Golitsyn, uh, when he came defected to the, uh, to the West. Uh, this was one of his most important contributions, which was rejected by RCIA and most. He said, look, he was, a, he was in the secret uh, inner chamber of, of the KGB where they designed strategic deception. And he said the whole Sino-Soviet split was strictly a ploy to play uh, the West, uh, and, and it worked uh, very well. And there were people like, for instance, Robert Welch, who, uh, the founder of the John Birch Society, uh, even before Anatoly Golitsyn came out with that, said, look, uh, he cited all the evidence to show, no, this is a ploy by uh, the communists, the Soviets, and the Chinese uh, to play to play us and get uh, uh, more, more aid, because supposedly China was going to go capitalist, and then that would uh, uh, be a well, foil against uh, Well, against we're, we're out of time for this segment, Bill, so we'll pick up with that in a moment. Thanks. Sophia paused before the door. It read, Department of Biodigital Convergence. Just inside was a new world, a better world, the one of everlasting life, of no pain, of no loss, of no problem. She entered the chamber and her surroundings changed. She saw around her an infinite field of waving golden grain surmounted by cloudless blue sky. The AI voice whispered gently in her mind, Welcome to the Singularity. 
She couldn't see it and couldn't feel it, but her body had almost instantly been covered by a swarm of tiny gray multi-legged bots that melted through her clothes and into her skin. Not perceiving the nightmare, her eyes had already been consumed and the rest of her body was dissolving as the bots digested her flesh. She felt only a warmth suffusing her being. Drowsy, she drifted to sleep and her last thought was one of panic. Would she ever wake? Could a nightmare vision like this be an outcome of the much-hyped transhumanist technological singularity? Enter the world of the future as illuminated by the experience of the past in Endgame. The new book by Dennis Barrett, the publisher of The New American Magazine, and find out how the disastrous COVID pandemic response fits with the technocratic elite's thirst to create a transhumanist utopia. Get Endgame from shopjbs.org with free shipping with code ENDSHIP, E-N-D-S-H-I-P. Or get Endgame and the Great Reset Collector's Issue of The New American Magazine and get free shipping plus an additional 20% off both with code N20, E-N-D-2-0. Welcome back. Well, well, Bill, I think it's fair to say that um, from, from what we've talked about so far, that, that Henry Kissinger really had a ringside view, indeed, in many instances, was inside the ring, actively participating uh, at some of the major events of the, of the latter half of the 20th century, most of them bad, that involved rapprochement with the communist Chinese and the, and the Soviet Union, appeasement of same, and all kinds of other things that laid the foundation for the world we live in today. Now, it is the Christmas season right now. And in the spirit of the Christmas season, I, I, I'd like to undertake in this final segment a little bit of a thought experiment. Now, you've doubtless seen, as I have many times, the classic 1946 Frank Capra film, It's a Wonderful Life. And in that film, Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Stewart's character, George Bailey, who is a man who's never really accomplished much in his life, at least he doesn't think he has, is forced to a reckoning with the help of an angel and ultimately when he's about to commit suicide, the angel shows him what the world would not would be like if he had never lived in it. And he learns just how much his actions touch people in a positive way. And he finds out that the world without him, there would be a lot of people unhappy who were happy uh, and, and because he had made them so. Now, with Henry Kissinger, it's interesting to speculate, perhaps. I mean, we've made the claim that he is in many ways the architect of the times we live in. So... What would the world look like without Henry Kissinger? What are the, some of the things that we take for granted in the reality of the second decade, well, the third decade of the 21st century that, you know, can be laid at the feet of the influence of, of Kissinger and his far-reaching influence? And how might things be different had he never done the things that he did? Very important. Very, very good question. Uh, but first... I think we need to stipulate that this wasn't Henry Kissinger of himself and by his own power and puissance who accomplished these things. He was the cat's paw for those who brought him to power and placed him in his uh, positions, which he did very adroitly uh, serve. And so... uh, to stipulate that uh, in the absence of another uh, uh, globalist machinator, Machiavelli, uh, uh, replacing Kissinger, but saying that the, the the events that Kissinger brought about say say they weren't they didn't they didn't happen as as he had planned them, we could safely say that millions, tens of millions of 
people throughout Southeast Asia would be alive and happy and uh, living uh, productive lives. And of course, China, which you're very familiar with personally, uh, would have uh, taken a very different course and would be truly on a, on a path to freedom uh, without the likes of Henry Kissinger's constantly uh, sabotaging every effort by people to throw off the shackles of communism. And it, this, we could look at what's currently going on in the Middle East. We don't have time to go into that and Henry Kissinger's role in helping build up uh, the PLO and Hamas into the uh, forces that they are now. And not only that, but uh, many of the other things happening in the Middle East. In fact, that would be another uh, project for us to go into uh, in some detail because it's very important, very apropos for what we see happening there now. Uh, but it's it's very difficult to uh, see anything other than positive, uh, wonderful things that would be happening if Henry Kissinger uh, had not been on the scene or someone like him to, to replace him because uh, uh, he, he has had a devastating impact on on our whole world. Um, well, that's, a, right that's now, a severe indictment. I mean, Bill, some people perhaps who who would diverge from us in saying, well, you know, this is all a bit too conspiratorial. They were well-meaning people who just got it wrong, that these were honest mistakes. They, they you know, when they pr promoted rapprochement with China and detente with the Soviet Union and signed the Paris Peace Accord with the Vietnam where they were just motivated by seeking world peace, misguided though they may have been. Now, you've portrayed Kissinger in rather more malign terms, as many people have. What do you think? Do you think he knew all along with malice aforethought exactly what he was doing? Or was he merely a misguided elitist idealist? Well, even those closest to him, uh, I don't think ever referred to him as an idealist. He is mm -hmm. very pragmatic and very, uh, in my, my view, a very malevolent uh, individual, su supremely ambitious, uh, was willing to sell his soul. And so I'm imagining that right now uh, he is probably wishing that he had a, a fireproof smoking jacket on, <laughs> which I don't believe he probably does. Uh, I mean, uh, we'll have to um, sometime go into, into more detail on the things which he specifically did in the betrayal of our, our POWs in Vietnam. And uh, uh, I mean, that was a, a huge thing. I was very active in uh, working with the Senate committee uh, to bring about the hearings on the POWs in Vietnam. And he uh, did everything possible to sabotage those things and to make sure that the, the, the POWs left behind, as many as two to 5,000, uh, we don't know, uh, were buried there and uh, were not allowed to come out. So, uh, I mean... Uh, and and besides that, we could we could look at all of the uh, programs and policies with regard to the United Nations and empowering the United Nations, empowering all of its various new agencies with more economic, political, 
uh, and military power building up the uh, so-called United Nations Peace Force and uh, providing cover to the globalists' uh, plans for uh, building the United Nations into a, a literal world government. Uh, if we're looking right now at, you know, in the past uh, few years in the Trump administration, the term deep state has become very familiar to a lot of people, a reference to the shadowy forces that control our government behind the scenes. Henry Kissinger played an immense role in that, in the whole reconfiguring of our national intelligence community and the national um, uh, security council. And uh, what we, we saw uh, with the FBI and the CIA and the NSA uh, over the last several years, uh, turning turning those intelligence agencies more into a um, a force uh, that is completely out of control of the uh, legislative branch that created it. Uh, it's now uh, becoming more and more like the police state apparatus that we see in communist countries. And that's why we have uh, people like uh, John Brennan and and uh, James Comey and whatnot uh, running roughshod over the Constitution. Uh, Henry Kissinger has played a big role in not only uh, reorganizing all of that and putting that in motion, uh, but over the years since he has been officially out of power in apologizing for and covering for all of that. Yeah, well, you know, I guess, Bill, in the end... We all have a shared epitaph, and that's what, you know, what the Savior once upon set time said, you know, by their fruits ye shall know them. And the fruits, it seems, to Henry Kissinger are, are fairly obvious, although he also gave some clues to his character and things he said. For example, he once said that power is the ultimate aphrodisiac, very widely quoted. And in an interview in 1980 with Time magazine, he said, the longer I'm out of power, the more convinced I am of my own infallibility which is a stark contrast to what Ben Franklin said in his old age. He said, the older I get, the more inclined I am to question my own infallibility. So, mm. you, you know, two men uh, of, of extraordinary talent, but very, very different degree, uh, you know, directions in their life's work. Well, Bill, thank you so very much to, for, for sharing your wisdom and, and, and understanding of Henry Kissinger and his life and times. It's really important to understand this, to truly understand the times that we live in. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you next week.